Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. But the question is, what is our motivation, right? Like, what is it that we're called to do, not only as a human being, but as a follower of Christ? And where do we find our motivation? And I'm not talking about, like, like this drama, like I'm in the movies and I'm getting ready to do a scene and I'm like, hang on, what's my motivation for this scene? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about every day getting up, going after it to win the day. You're not going to win the day just by, hey, I got through another day. There's got to be some sort of motivation, right? Well, if you're taking notes, psychologists will tell you that there's really two categories that all motivation will fall in. And we're going to look at that today from a biblical concept here in just a minute. But let me give you these two areas. The first is where most of us fall. Most of you every day have this one particular category that that is your motivation in everything you do. It's called extrinsic motivation. What is that? That is something that you are getting that is a reward or something you're wanting. And because you want that, you will do certain activities in your life to get it. I'll give you some examples. If any of you are loyalty members at a certain store, and they're like, hey, if you'll go over here and buy certain things and do different stuff, then we're going to give you certain perks and certain concepts, and you can get these different things. Kohl's has made a living on Kohl's cash. Now, I want you to think about this concept. You come give me your real cash. I'll give you Kohl's cash so you can come back and give me more of your cash. And we're like, oh, they are so generous. These people are amazing. I cannot believe they're giving me this stuff for me giving them my cash. And we're like, they're the greatest place ever. Some of you are different. Some of you will do different tasks every week. Some of you will do tasks that you don't even like. Like you will do things that if anybody really close to you asked you to do them, you would probably punch them in the mouth. But you do them willingly every day. Because they say, I'll give you a paycheck for it. Like I know some people that are in a career or in a job and they're borderline miserable, but they're doing it, why? Because there's a number at the end of the week that they say, if you'll do this, I will give you this. That's called extrinsic motivation. Outside things that motivate us to do something. There is one issue with that. Let me read how I wrote it down in my notes. If you are motivated by extrinsic factors like fame and fortune, motivation eventually evaporates along with the accolades. Why? Because you're working for the wrong thing. If you are motivated by outside influences, that's okay for a season, but I promise you, I promise you eventually that will be lacking motivation and you will find yourself struggling and asking questions because those things, let me put it a different way. You're going to chase after some things in your life just to get them and go, wow, that really wasn't worth chasing. And you still have this insatiable something in you that's not being satisfied because you've been motivated by extrinsic factors. Well, the other factor that is there that psychologists will tell you is not only are they extrinsic, but there's another motivation. There's another motivation. It's called intrinsic. In other words, there's something inside of you 
that you get from doing it. Extrinsic, not only can it be factors as far as rewards, but extrinsic can also be factors like punishment. There's sometimes as a child that I didn't do something because I knew that if I did that, this is what was going to happen. And I was like, I don't want that, so I'm not going to do this. Intrinsic is when we're doing something because there is something in us that is fulfilled by what we are doing. Well, we're going to dive into that a little bit more. Let's hit the pause button on that, and let's go into God's Word, because there is not a greater story that talked about motivation, extrinsic and intrinsic factors, more than what we are celebrating this Sunday. Palm Sunday is a great biblical story to look at in a major account of God's Word, and it will very quickly, you will see these different factors of motivation showing up. Now, I'm going to go ahead and warn you. You're going to have to put on your listening ears. You're going to have to get your pen. You're going to have to get your notes on your phone. Whatever you're doing on a tablet and buckle up and get ready because we are fixing to go through a ton of Scripture. And I'm going to be going like mini micro machine man running through this. But I promise it's going to be something that I think will jump off the page for you just like it did with me when I was studying what this is going to happen. Now before we get into Palm Sunday and these, these motivations, what motivated Jesus... This extrinsic versus intrinsic, what really truly motivated him, I think you need to kind of get set up like I did to figure out why was there a Palm Sunday? Like, has anybody ever asked that question? Like, we celebrate Palm Sunday, we call it the triumphant entry, and everybody was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, and they're laying down palm leaves, and they're laying down their coats, and Jesus is on a donkey, and he's riding in the town. Have you ever asked the question, why'd they do that? Like, what was the purpose? I'm not talking about the symbolism of it. Most biblical scholars would tell you that that was a sign of a victory. They did that because they believed Jesus was coming in to release them from the captivity of this Roman government. They thought their new king was coming in, and it was a sign of a victory to come. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the symbolism of why they did it. My question is, what happened? What changed in a matter of a few hours to make people go from like, okay, there's a guy named Jesus of Nazareth to all of a sudden laying down cloaks and palm branches and screaming Hosanna to Hosanna in the highest? Well, I want to give you that information straight out of God's word and then study that triumphant entry. So with that being said, join me in John chapter 11, John chapter 11, verse 38. I believe there's a few things that we need to see before we get into Jesus getting on a donkey to come in and talk about this aspect of what motivates us. You're going to find very quickly, not only today am I going to show you the launching of what is Holy Week and why the triumphant entry took place, but through God's Word, I'm also going to show you why they crucified Jesus and why people, catch this, are still after you too. So with that being said, let's read God's Word. John chapter 11, starting in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again. This is coming off of verse 35, that famous verse that everybody quotes. You know, when you say, hey, quote a verse. John eleven thirty-five. 35. What's that? Jesus wept. Thank you very much. This is following that. This is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus, being deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. 
Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, This is key. If you have a paper Bible, underline this verse. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, underline as well. I knew that you always hear me, but, circle that but word, said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Let me read verse 42 again. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen stripes, strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And then Jesus said to them, underline these amazing six words, unbind him and let him go. This is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And if you were to put this in a time frame, the triumphant entry is going to enter on the Palm Sunday, roughly seven days before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of this is taking place the weekend prior. We don't know if it was Friday. We don't know if it was Saturday. But we know it was real close around that time. And you're going to hear what I read in a minute. And we understand that here's what we know. There was a man that was dead that now lives. And everybody knew about it. There was an everyday, ordinary man, just like you, just like me, who had died. He had been dead for four days. And though he once was dead and had the witness of being dead, had been wrapped in ceremonial buried, stone put in front of him, Jesus called out his name and he came out of that grave, wrapped, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. What was Jesus' motivation? Well, if you remember, I said underline verse 42. Listen to what he says. Father, starting at the end of 41. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. You're going to find, as we read through this story, Jesus always has the exact same motivation. His motivation was never about some sort of exterior motivation. He was not an extrinsic type person. He was motivated by something in him and who he was. Everything that Christ did was always centered around his father. In fact, we're going to build up to the garden right here at the end and hopefully have an aha moment. But I want you to understand that Jesus' motivation has always and will always be, catch this, listen, you. You say, like, like you, like the guy sitting beside me? No, I'm talking about like you. Like everything that he did, the life that he led for 30 years, being perfect and launching a three-year ministry and living that amazing ministry that led to this death and resurrection and then setting up the new heaven and the new earth, everything that Christ did, he always had in the major aspect of his mind, you. And to do the will of his Father. Which was what? What's, what's God's will? What does God want more than anything? He wants a relationship with you. You know, in the beginning, when he created the heavens and the earth, he spoke in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. 
You know why he did all of that? You know why the Yahweh God, the creator of the world, created everything? He had one motivation. To love you. And here's what's so amazing. We get in these time warps. Like we end up being, we're, we're kind of four-dimensional people. And we try to put God in those four dimensions. And what we don't understand is there's never a point in God's time frame that he ever starts something without the end in mind. But you live in the present like you don't know what the end is, right? Like that's kind of the hard part with life. How do you find the motivation? I don't know what I really need to do. I don't know where I'm going. What do I determine my motivation with? If I only knew what was going to happen in the end and how I needed to get there, boy, it'd be easy to be motivated. Because he never starts something without the end already in the present. See, he doesn't live in your present situation. He's already at the end of your situation. He doesn't live at the beginning of what you're doing. He's already at the, like, like we're getting ready to celebrate Resurrection Sunday next week. You know where God is? Streets of gold, setting up the new heaven and the new earth. Like he's already won the day. But his motivation's always been what? His Father's will in you. Well, because Lazarus was raised from the dead, all of a sudden everything changes. Look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many miracles. Again, if you have a paper Bible, I encourage you to write it and underline, because here, here is the foundation of the resurrection. Are you ready? If, this is the council talking, if we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Do you know what they were motivated by? Extrinsic concepts. The Jewish people were totally concerned about a punishment that would come. If we let Jesus keep doing what he's doing, and all these people believe in him, we're going to end up losing our land. And you know, we've really worked hard for this land. We were in this land. We got cast out of the land. We ended up going to Egypt. We ended up having Joseph. He was in a pit. We all of a sudden, he's ended up being the Pharaoh's helper. We helps gets us back during this famine. All of a sudden, the Pharaoh turns his back on us because Joseph has died. They don't remember Joseph. So now we go wandering in the wilderness. And we finally defeated the Hittites and the, the Philistines and all these other people. And this is our land. And I don't want to lose our land, even though we're not really in charge of our land because the Romans are over us. But they're kind of leaving us alone. We kind of got this peace corps, this, this peace treaty that if we'll just submit to what they tell us to do, they'll let us keep having our land. And the last thing that we need is this Jesus of Nazareth guy showing up and doing things that we can't debate because it's proven by what we're seeing. So we got to do something about this. Let's kill him. In fact, can I tell you what their motivation was? Oh, Caiaphas. Listen to what Caiaphas says, starting in verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. 
and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made a plan to put him to death. Again, it's what's your motivation? Are you motivated by something in you that's a void that you're trying to fill? Are you motivated by all the naysayers and what's chirping in your ear? Literally, the resurrection of Lazarus changed everything. You say, Mickey, prove it. Okay, chapter 12. Told you we're going to read a lot of scripture. Bear with me. Chapter 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. Can I give you a little heads up of what's going on? Hey, did you hear about this dead guy? Yeah, he was dead for four days. Now he lives. What? Yeah, you want to go see him? Sure do. Lazarus was the original freak show before the freak show ever was invented. They didn't have a bearded woman. They didn't have a seven-foot-eight guy. They didn't have the greatest showman. They had Jesus. And Jesus was doing what he was called to do. The problem was there now was evidence that was undisputable that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He had spit in mud and made blind people see. He had cast out demons from people into swines. They ran off a cliff. He had done all kinds of different things. But people could kind of easily figure out a way to explain that. You ever have that happen? Oh, the Red Sea really didn't depart. You know, we, we've done some research and we found out there may have been an earthquake and some sort of front, da, 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 whatever. The Red Sea parted. They walked through on dry land, quit denying it. Oh, well, he really didn't create this in six days. Probably what happened was there was these different things and they came together and boom, and this big bang. Baloney. But people have been able to explain that away. They, they've tried to use science to explain things away. But you know what you can't explain away? Dude, this dude was dead for four days, and here he is right now. Like, that's him. And people were coming to see him. And not only were they coming to see Jesus, but listen to what the Scripture said. And they wanted to see Lazarus. They're like, Jesus is awesome. Because look at that right there. That dude right there was dead for four days. Don't you know everybody wanted to ask him a question? What was that like? Was there a light? What did it say? What was heaven? I mean, I just imagine there's a lot of people wanting to get to Lazarus. But listen to what, again, this group of people that are not motivated. Please catch this. When you're motivated by exterior things, you know what you miss? Amazing God moments in your life. I, I, here's what I got consumed with. I'm going to kind of chase a real, real quick rabbit because I don't have a lot of time this morning. Here's what I was, can you imagine being so consumed with what you think you're going to lose that you're missing out on the fact that this dude was dead and now lives? Like they're missing the miracle altogether. They're not even debating that miracle. In fact, what I wrote in my scripture is when, when there's so much evidence, you don't debate it, you just try to destroy it. I need you to hear that. When there's so much evidence, you don't try to debate it, you try to destroy it. Hence, put in whatever you want to politically right now, whatever stance you're in, whatever you're talking about as far as rewriting stuff. Whenever there's tremendous evidence for something that you know you cannot debate, you don't have the option to debate. You only have the option of, i got to destroy it. All of a sudden, we can't debate who Jesus is anymore. So what do they say? 
Well, let's get back into God's Word because we've got a lot to get through. Not only on account of him, but also see Lazarus. Continuing in verse 9. Whom he had raised from the dead. Then verse 10, listen. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Again, can I tell you something? When you have undeniable evidence that proves something to be true, you stop debating and you start destroying that evidence if you don't like what the truth is. Like there's nothing else you can do. It changes everything. So here's what we have. On the eve of the triumphant entry, either that Friday or Saturday, we have Jesus who has raised Lazarus from the dead. Everybody is hearing about this. Everybody is intrigued. Everybody, these Jews, want to come see Jesus, and they want to come see this Lazarus. Because of that, Jesus is withdrawing himself away. He's going to another place. He ends up hunkering down in a little town called Bethany and staying with the house where Lazarus lived with his sisters Mary and Martha. And he's hanging out there and coming back and forth. And there's this huge conspiracy going on because Jesus knows that the time is coming at hand. Well, as you can imagine, this group that's growing, that's wanting to seek Jesus, that's wanting to hear about Jesus, and these people are seeing Lazarus, you know what their reaction is? When they find out that Jesus is getting ready to come to town, the guy that has healed the blind, healed the lame, and has conquered death, you know what their response is? Let me read it. Maybe you've heard of this story. The next day, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, he's going to quote Zechariah 9.9, an Old Testament prophecy that's fulfilled. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now again, I, I want you to pause for a minute, and then we're going to read the rest of the scripture. Catch what's going on. Jesus is not motivated by all the praise. He didn't jump on the colt and be like, oh yeah, baby. I'm on an old town road here, riding up in here, got my jams going, everybody's screaming my name, and I'm like, woohoo, I am the man. I did it for Lazarus, I can do it for you. You want to be alive, I'll bring you alive. He didn't do that. Do you know why he submitted himself to Palm Sunday? Do you know why he allowed all these extrinsic-focused people that are out for something for themselves? Why were they seeking Jesus? Not because of a void in their heart, but because of what something they thought. I want that miracle. I want to have people in my life that are dead to come forward. I have people that have passed away and I want them to be back in my life. I want something that you have. But Jesus submitted not to the praises of people, but he submitted to the will of his Father. Do you know why he had the triumphant entry? To fulfill this one prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. He didn't come in for people to praise him. He came in so he would be exactly who God's word said he would be. Do you know why? Because he's not in the same time frame you're in. 
See, Jesus riding in on a colt, and everybody's praising his name, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, and throwing down their cloaks and throwing down palm branches. And you know what Jesus knows? Jesus knows that in five short days, the people that are praising his name are going to be the same ones angry, yelling, crucify him. Well, you want to talk about a lesson in life. You better be careful what your motivation is. Because in just a few short days, the same people that may be shouting your name and giving you praises will be the same people that are after you like an angry mob. Why? Because if you're not careful, the things that you let motivate you can change at the drop of a hat. If people that are motivated by something they're getting, then all of a sudden when they're not getting something they desire, you know what they do? They don't need you anymore. Palm Sunday and the triumphant entry is all about people trying to position themselves to get to Jesus because of something that he had to offer them. The problem is they still missed it. They thought Jesus was coming in as the greatest warrior ever to overthrow the Roman Empire and give them back their land and authority forever. He was going to reestablish the nation. Ironically enough, he was setting up a new kingdom. But it wasn't a kingdom on this earth. So let's see how the people responded. Tell them about this motivation. Going back to verse 16 of chapter 12. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Now listen to verse 17. This is key. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard he had done this sign. Talking about the Lazarus. And then listen to verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This starts the beginning of what will be a five-day journey that leads from praising his name and recognizing him as the king of kings on a donkey to screaming, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Can I give you a better example? Can I give you a better example of, of what we mean by, by the right motivation? Can I give you a better example? It's actually in, in three of the Gospels. You know, you have the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in John right now, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they have this amazing aspect. John calls it the high, the priestly, the high priest's prayer when Jesus prays in the garden. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I want you to look at one scripture that's in all four. We're going to throw it up on the screen. And there's one scripture that shows you Truly what is the motivation behind everything that Christ did. Can I read it? My father, this is him in the garden. Sweat drops of blood. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, 
but as you will. You want me to tell you the right motivation? The right motivation always is intrinsic. When you hit a point in your life where you stop saying what you want and you start saying, God, what do you want? Not my will, but your will. Do you know that, that people that, that practice Satanism, they have a Satanic Bible and they have what they call holy scriptures in the Satanic Bible? You know what the number one verse that they use as the foundation of the Satanic movement, the worship of Satan himself? It's a paraphrase of that scripture. It simply says these words, Do what thy wilt. In other words, you do whatever you want to do. There's no authority. There's no God. Whatever you want to do, do it. You want to look at that smut? Look at that smut. You want to cheat on your taxes? Cheat on your taxes. You want to gain finances illegally? Gain finances illegally. You want to go abuse somebody? Go abuse somebody. It doesn't matter what you do as long as it's what you want to do. The philosophy behind that is called hedonism. And what it means is whatever feels good, do it. Notice the negating of everybody else in that. Notice the selfishness of that. Notice the whole concept of what's going on there. To be so self-consumed that you don't think of anybody else's consequence, the only thing you think about is what pleasure am I getting? But yet, if we're not careful, when's the last time you woke up and you said, God, today, I've got a task list a mile long, but what do you want? God, I'm 15 years into this career, but I've never stopped and said, what do you want with my life? God, I, I, I'm blind, whatever it may be for you. See, the motivation in which you are starting with will determine where your end game is going to be. Can I read what I wrote down? What is intrinsic motivation? Let's go back to where I hit the pause button and I'm done. What is intrinsic motivation? It's living for the applause of nail-scarred hands. It's giving God an A-plus effort. It's recognizing that potential is God's gift to us and that what we do with it is our gift to God. It's not trying to be better than everybody else. It's trying to be better than you were yesterday. What's your motivation? I love this. Listen to this quote. Your potential is God's gift to you. What you do with it, that's your gift back to God. So what are you going to do with it? If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.